0: It's Simon. What's the story of your life? Adversity shapes many of the stories of life. And storytelling gives us a wonderful opportunity to learn from other people's experience, shape, strengthen or challenge our perceptions and values. So I'm absolutely delighted to have as my guest on episode 30 of Turning the Tables, storyteller extraordinaire, Diane Wisga. Diane has, as she says, bathed in the garbage of life's adversities, creating compost for the opportunity for a joy-filled and purposeful life. Having been a U.S. Navy nurse, lawyer, professor, public speaker, litigating consultant, problem-solver wife and daughter, she's seen life through many eyes. Diane and I met through Seth Godin's Podcast Fellowship, from which Turning the Tables and Diane's brilliant podcast, Stories from Women Who Walk, were born. We talk about the events that have shaped Diane's life. The triple adversity of Diane losing her job, her husband, and her mother in the space of nine months. How a 500-mile journey along the Camino to Santiago, help Diane find new direction and fulfillment, and how storytelling has been a companion to help Diane navigate through life.
1: I remember that time as, some days I didn't even have the strength to pull the covers up over my head. Because then it, you know, the, the truck has hit you, you're really, you're really in it and you have strength to handle what must be handled but as to the rest you're really down in a deep hole i mean who do you turn to
0: i'm simon ratcliffe and this is turning the tables a podcast Dedicated to the candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. Each episode, my guests share their insight about how to turn adversity into advantage. Welcome to Turning the Tables, Diane. You are a nationally recognized storyteller, and I can vouch for that because I've listened to many of your stories on your podcast, of which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But you're also someone who's had adversities scattered throughout your life. I wondered how those two things were connected or whether indeed they were connected. That's a good question. Um, No one's put it together that way before.
1: And before I answer it, I have to thank you for inviting me to be here. Um, I followed your work since we were in Seth Godin's classes on podcasting together. And I'm charmed by how sensitive you are with a topic like this one and will connect with your guests.
0: (laughs) What's the story I'm going to tell? So when you
1: rang up and said, (laughs) would you join me? It was like being on the, <laughs> the schoolyard and being picked, you know, to play kickball or whatever. So thank you for the chance well, to meet you. Well,
0: I'm on, I'm honoured by that, and um, clear, clearly the clearly the envelope I sent you with the money has got to its destination. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. So,
1: as, as to the question, um, yes, story story is connected. Um, Among among those of us who are storytellers, it's very clear that if you know someone and know them pretty well, and you listen to their work, to the stories that they choose to tell from the platform, uh, to the stories they write, the original stories, you get a very good insight into what's going on with them. And so the stories, for example, that I'm putting on the little bits of of nuggets of 60 seconds that I'm uh, broadcasting on stories from women who walk is to someone who's paying attention, a deep dive into my life. And I'm using the podcast in some ways to explore Uh, who I've become, who I am, how I can be of use, how I can be of service and turning over current difficulties, revisiting old hurts and seeing how you put a different spin on it. So if stories are the way that we understand each other and are understood then I would have to say you nailed it. I'm, <laughs> I have to admit that that's where the connection is. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess you can argue um, that to some extent, the adversities we suffer in our life are are something of a gift, if you allow them to be, in the sense that not only do they allow us to tell stories, which paint the picture of of who we are, but they also give us the wisdom perhaps to be able to write those stories.
1: Oh, yes. And what you need is a whole lot of time, a whole lot of time in between X and Y, years of time. Because in the beginning, it will all be too raw. And what you will be handing out is a sense that your listeners, whether they're in front of you or they're listening through a headset, get this sense that they have to reach out and catch you because you haven't done your work. And so there is a lot of time that has to go by, a lot of work that has to be done in order for you to relate what happened as best you can remember how it happened and what you take away from it. And I will be the first to say that we invite these things into our lives. We ask the fears and the enemies to come and to work with us, but that's easy to intellectualize. And especially when things are good, but when you're down in the hole (laughs) the last thing you want to be thinking is, oh boy, I'm so happy. (laughs) I invited all this. (laughs) Now I can take it and make it into compost and fertilize my life and we'll all grow flowers. No, no.
0: As you mentioned that um, the beginnings of that line, I really do love the 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 line, which I guess is is part of the narrative for your for your blog. The garbage of our lives, adversity, et cetera, is actually compost for a joy-filled, purposeful life we have yet to create. I've paraphrased. That's what you're saying, in a way, isn't
1: it? It is, and it took a long time to get there too. Uh, it took a lot of work. It took it took people. It took time. It took awareness and understanding and growing up, so that you finally get to this place where you realize that all the orange peels and eggshells and coffee grounds of your life, which look like no more than garbage, once you compost them and turn that over, that becomes this really rich fertilizer, and you can put that you know in your like you put that in your garden and things grow better. If you take that approach when the time is right, then you can see, okay, now how can I use this? And that's the most important part of this. It's not what happens to you because everybody out there has something or some things happening to them. The question becomes, all right, you've got this thing. It has happened. Time has gone by. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to grow yourself? And more importantly, how are you going to use that to maybe help somebody else? How are you going to share that understanding so that they can look at it and say, Oh, I I see that. Uh, maybe I can shift my behavior, my my attitude this way. Or, you know what, that doesn't work for me, but gosh darn it, I'm I'm I'm
0: glad you stand. You stood up and said. A beautiful summation, really, of, of why actually this podcast exists. It, it's to paint a picture that adversity is not something that we all have to wish never happened to us, because in anyone's life it, it will happen to you. The only question is how you deal with it. But if you understand that, and if you see that in other people, and you see how other people have used that as a spring ball for something new, and sometimes something better, it puts a different complexion on, on the anxieties we have about things that go wrong in our life, whatever that is why this feels to me important is because there is such a compounding view of a perfect life out there, particularly driven by social media, that it feels like there needs to be a balancing act done here so that people don't go through life whenever anything goes wrong and think, oh my God, that's the end.
1: (laughs) I was thinking about something that I posted um, last week. Maybe you heard it. And it's You're, you you are right that before, you know, before we had cell phones and we could take all these selfies and we had these platforms and Facebook and Instagram, (laughs) I remember we had a telephone, you know, and, and what you did is you dialed up a person and hopefully they were home. And if the phone rang half a dozen times, you'd hang up because, okay, they weren't home and you'd figure out, you know, how to get in touch with them next. But because we have these big windows into each other's lives that we never had before. I mean, I I can still remember when a fax machine was a hot deal in the office. We are exposed to so much that we're not prepared for. And who takes a picture of themselves when it's a bad hair day? So everything out there is looking good. And even on your cell phone, you've got these apps where you can smooth out your wrinkles or have this gauzy look. And so everybody looks good and they feel good and they're acting good. And the grass on the other side of the fence looks so much greener than in your own yard. But when you think that there's just a whole bunch of manure that's been put Onto that grass to make it look green.
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or, or actually, somebody's painted it green. Or
1: painted it green. <laughs> or photoshopped it green.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder, was there anything in your upbringing that, that drew you into storytelling?
1: Well, if my mom was still alive, she would say that as a child, I would fib a lot. And I would tell her that I was just practicing. (laughs) Um, We were not a family of storytellers, not like I've been exposed to otherwise. we, We knew some things about our rallies growing up, but I did love the library. I loved the library. And I can remember the first day that my mom took me to get my library card. And I remember that, If there were more books than I could take out on my card, she would check them out on her card. So from the beginning, I was an avid reader. And I think that the more you read, the more you are aware of the world of story that we live in and create. And so maybe there was that as the beginning. I just know that. I was drawn to it, and I don't know exactly how come, but it's always been that way. And, you know, if mom called them lies, well, you know, hey, she just didn't understand my answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you've had a a myriad of careers, um, to name but a few, U.S. Navy nurse, lawyer, lawyer, professor, public speaker, litigation consultant, problem solver, and and many more. Would it be true to say that storytelling has always been a part of all of those?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, that list just shows that I'm the oldest of seven children. And so, you know, as the oldest of seven, you go out and you do everything because you're supposed to, it's expected, and then you can be the role model for your siblings who took it a lot easier Yes, in each, of, in each of those, under each hat that I was wearing. I mean, think about nursing. Everybody that comes to a hospital, for example, they're bringing a story of who they were before they were ill, who they are while they were ill, who they hope to be once they, once they leave again. A law, which um, in the courtroom is all a story, not fake So that's the, that's something that's really important to get across, but it's a story in the sense that we take facts and we weave them together with emotional meeting to make sense out of what happened to somebody. And in that we're looking for a judge, a jury to give someone a hand up to get back on their feet again. Obviously I was a plaintiff's lawyer and then I served for plaintiff's counsel trial attorneys. So, but in in each of those, when I was working in university, uh, I was working with students in MBA business programs. And so again, we hear that a lot on LinkedIn and other places that you have to know your brand, your narrative, the story in your work culture. So no matter where we turn,
0: it's, it's there. To make good compost, you need good manure And you have had your fair share of manure 20 years ago or so. You had some the first of some significant events, didn't you? Tell us a bit about those.
1: You know, it's one thing to answer an email and to say, here's my timeline. You know, you're safe in your office. You're typing on your little computer. And um, then you you send somebody uh, a topic list. And then the question comes back. And you begin to feel an emotion that you might not have before. So I do remember um, asking, this is before I got religion (laughs) or Palmer Parker, but I do remember telling my life I wanted something different. And life said, okay. So in nine months time, um, I lost my marriage. My used to be husband had a pretty significant affair and felt that repairing the marriage was not, as we say now, in his wheelhouse. My mom was um, misdiagnosed with lymphoma. Her doctor felt that she had some change of life issues. And this is a woman who was, I think, 68. And by the time she was actually diagnosed with lymphoma, she was into stage four, And she went pretty quickly downhill. And the third thing that happened during this trifecta was that I had um, a position as a senior associate in a law firm, but that firm was bought out by a larger company and there was no position left for me. So... um, Within a very short period of time, and this is what they mean when they say, be careful what you ask for. But see, I was one of those kids that always had to touch the flame and find out if it was hot. And so that was exactly it. I I touched the flame. I found out that it was hot. And everything that mattered, because your job's your identity, Now. Yeah. And the person you're married to is, is like a bulwark in the, in the unshaky world. And then your mom is your mom. And all of that was gone. All of it. How
0: did you feel at that moment?
1: Well, it, it's interesting because it was a series of moments. And so the affair came to light just before Christmas of 98. And my mom was the one I talked to. And I remember she and dad were on the phone with me and and both of them, I mean, devout Catholics, never considered the idea of divorce at all. And both of them are on the phone saying, throw everything out on the front yard, everything he owns, throw it out on the front yard and whatever you have to do to take care of yourself we're behind you. And so right then I had them. You know, right then I had them and I had my mom. And even though she was sick at the time, she wasn't as sick as she would become several months later. The job was gone. And so the question then becomes, well, where is my identity? Where is the income? You know, what do I do now? And these things happened in a sequence, almost like one was following the other, as if somebody was saying, let's see if you can handle this. Let's see if you can handle that. And fortunately, fortunately, my mom gave me something to focus on because, you know, then you're dealing with the doctors and you're trying to figure out what happened and you're going, you're flying back home because they were on the East coast. I was on the West coast. You're flying back home to see what's going on, to try to manage it, to try to handle it, to try to get the family together and organized. So I had that. And, and so I remember that time as some days I didn't even have the strength to pull the covers up over my head because then it, you know, the, the truck has hit you. You're really, you're really in it. You are really in, in the deep doo-doo and you have strength to handle what must be handled. So Talking with my dad and the family about mom, but as to the rest, you're really down in a deep hole. I mean, who do you turn to?
0: That's beautifully told. So, where did you walk out to from then? What, what was the what was the journey you started on after those events?
1: You know how they say you live your life looking forward, and you understand it looking backward. There is no way. There is no way. I could have imagined this, but there was a wonderful organic farm not too far from where I lived and I was driving past it and they had a help wanted sign out and I said, well, I want help. So I drove in and applied and it was so silly because, you know, I have my, my CV, my resume, and I've got all this stuff and what they're interviewing for or what they really want is just somebody to work in the farm stand, you know, for $7 an hour. <laughs> like, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. And those were some of the happiest months It went on to a couple of years. It was, it was simple. And, and, wonderful um i eventually set up a a, an apiary a honeybee apiary there and sold honey at the farm stand um i do remember having a deep appreciation for an organization that she
0: had and so
1: little by little it began to
0: grow no understandably so and then you set off on a journey of 1,300 miles up the country or down the country, I don't know which way you call it, um, for another phase of your life.
1: Oh, the Camino. I love the Camino. <laughs> so um, today is actually um, – so when the anniversary of my walk on the Camino de Santiago de Compostela circles around, I honor each day that I was walking. I pull out my journal. I pull out – my guidebook and I remember, you know, where I was and how I was. So the Camino, um, my life is BC and AC before the Camino, after the Camino and the Camino, uh, de Santiago is 500 miles across Spain. And I walked that in five weeks. So five weeks, 500 miles, I lost 15 pounds and I was drinking beer, eating white pasta and fried fish. (laughs) Um, It was one of those things that I was called to do. But as I was flying into Madrid, I looked out and said, there is no way. It's a stupid, it's a fool's errand. And I was going to get off the plane pick up my backpack and get a flight back home again. What
0: what had driven you to do that, to decide to take on that challenge in the first place? The best that
1: I can say, and other pilgrims will say this to you as well, that I was called. I mean, some people go for the vino tinto. Some people go to see all the churches. Some people go for hookups. Um, But in my case, these six months leading up to the time I left was a call. I mean, I had seen the movie, The Way with Martin Sheen and thought, okay, that's, that's really nice. But then every time I turned around, there was a book or something that talked about being a pilgrim, going on pilgrimage. And for me, that was the call. It was time to be a pilgrim. It was time to leave everything behind and carry along all your worldly possessions in a backpack that weighed maybe 15 pounds. And you had to make your way. You had to rely on the company of strangers. Um, Everything that was familiar was gone. And it was an opportunity, although I didn't know it at the time, to sort out who I had been who I was becoming and how I was going to get there and I will tell you that all along the way I felt like I was a lousy pilgrim <laughs> and all along the way there were adversities but I look back at, at that time and I will tell you hands on heart that that is the single most defining episode of my life it was it was remarkable
0: what did it teach what did it was it a gradual thing or was it something that it was like a light bulb moment i mean you obviously went there searching for something in yourself and you've obviously come out the other side and have found that thing What was it in that that revealed?
1: Well, one of the reasons that I felt I was a lousy pilgrim is because I was expecting the burning bush to appear in the middle of the road. Voice would come out of it and say, "Okay, you know, this is how things go for the rest of your life. And it didn't. It didn't. Um, I dealt with the things everybody else was dealing with. Cold, fatigue, aches and pains, the weight of the pack, rain, mud slippery pathways sleeping in a a dorm with with 40 other people wool blankets that smelled like bad dogs snoring and and yet you would get up every morning and put one foot in front of the other and it was the simplicity of it my job was to walk that was my job it was to walk and Talk to the voices in my head, but start to put them to rest. Thank you for showing up. Now you can go somewhere else. So the awarenesses, the reason I take such delight in it and such pride in having accomplished that is something that came to me over time. And so at the end, when you get your Compostela, you get your little certificate, um, which says you did this wonderful thing. There were a lot of smiles, but the real reward comes and has come every day since then. So the screensaver on my computer is all, is everything. You know, I can see where I was. I can see my little chubby cheeks. I can see my cheekbones at the end. Um, And I can remember what different people would say to me when I felt at the lowest and I remember a, a man from Korea who was an opera singer. I didn't speak Korean. He didn't speak English. But here we are on the path, and he starts to sing Oh Solo Mio. And it gave me something. I remember stomping through the woods. I was stomping around making furious gestures i was ooh, it's raining it's cold blah, 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 and this very elderly woman because there are people of all ages but i tell you when it comes to the europeans those guys have americans be they never they never do anything but walk and so i remember this older woman sitting by the side of the path chewing up having some chocolate and she wanted to know what was wrong and i told her and she said but Those are such simple little things. And so there's a a great appreciation for not only being able mentally, spiritually, physically to do this, but to meet people on that path. All of us heading in the same direction, all of us looking for something, all of us walking and wishing each other the salute on the Camino, Buen Camino. It's like magic.
0: What, what demons did you have to banish in that on that journey?
1: I remember talking to my four-year-old self a lot. Um, as an incest survivor, I had to do a lot of work to be able to tell that story and to tell it to other people without falling apart and without... Defining myself as that, you know, in the beginning you say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. And you're not. Those are just hats that you're wearing. And so there was a lot of conversation with that little, that little human, as we say now, about how I am now big and strong and can take care of things that I couldn't before And I think that that is a metaphor for other things in my life. Now I'm big and strong and I can take care of things that I might not have been able to before, or I might have deferred before you defer to a boss, you defer to a spouse, you defer to, and many women I imagine who are listening or have been your guests will understand that there comes a point in time where You must speak. You must speak. Because as um, Zora Neale Hurston says, the the novelist, there is no greater burden than carrying an untold story. So you have to speak your story. And so part of that walk was speaking the story and hearing the story from that little human.
0: So that... That part of your life has borne many new things, hasn't it? I mean, obviously the podcast is one of the most significant things there, but you also started to practice mindfulness and meditation and some of those uh, new did things, you. didn't
1: you? Yes. Um, it's the funniest thing, but I had um, I, um, the mindfulness trainings on my refrigerator uh, and there was a little line at the bottom, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And for years it was there on the front of the refrigerator, like we all have with our magnets. And I never once put two and two together, uh, until a friend said, you know, just down the road from where you are is Deer Park Monastery. And that is one of the monasteries that Thich Nhat Hanh established. Maybe you would like to go there. And I did. And took the five mindfulness trainings, um, was given um, the name Radiant Freedom of the Heart and began to incorporate his teaching. So I began to follow in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh and practicing mindful breathing, mindful walking, loving kindness, mindful eating. Do I get it right? No. No. Do I slip yes do I forget yes is it a practice thank God
0: (laughs) God. so the journey clearly the Camino way um, was obviously very significant part of, of your life and then of course that's really drawn you I think towards even more storytelling and the podcast. And I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear about your podcast, because as I said, I think it's, it's the most wonderful storytelling. Um, I'd recommend it to anyone, but I'd love to know what was the thinking behind that particular idea.
1: Thank you. Um, really for your kind, kind words. I feel like I'm, we're all a work in progress and my um, my dear friend, I told you that I had one story friend in Canada, um, and Michelle uh, was responsible. Really, I had moved to Whidbey Island. I didn't realize what changes were in store for me yet, and she suggested that I check out Seth Godin and listen to what he has to say. And of course there was the, as you know, the TPF podcast. And I thought, oh, you know, okay, I'll just take this nice little course and see what I can make of it. And because you've gone through this, uh, you know that it's like um, drinking from a fire hydrant. It's not called a workshop for nothing. And from the beginning, when they started asking us, well, what are you gonna call yourself? What are you gonna do? Who are you gonna do it for? uh, 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 And so what I grabbed and so my cover art is a picture of me, the silhouette. It's my silhouette walking um, with the sun behind me. Uh, I was very early on. I think I'm probably getting ready to cross the Pyrenees in that picture. And I'm looking at that picture and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm a woman. I walk. I like stories I think we'll call it stories from women who walk. (laughs) So it kind of came from that. And then once you name something, it begins to flesh itself out. Of course, we were required to do a lot of fleshing out in the workshop, but something that I hadn't considered doing ever was what was brought to life. And so while I say it's stories from women who walk, it's mostly women. Guys are there as the bonus. The boys are back in town as the bonus. What I most um, enjoy doing are the 60 seconds. And you and I learned how to do that um, to be just as new podcasters. And I was looking for a platform and LinkedIn seemed like as good a platform as any. And so where I spend a lot of my time when I'm not interviewing guests or putting Diane on my together is with those 60 seconds, because it, it's just a way for me to say, I want to take something out of my life and put it out there and see if it charms somebody or delights them or gives them something to think about or lifts them up for a moment, something to hold on to. Um, I'm not always exact on 60 seconds. Sometimes I go over, but I figured that's, you know, that's artistic license
0: it's the principle isn't it of of a, of a short reflection i mean i think that for for me must be the zenith of your storytelling because you are you are having to craft a story in such a short space of time and yet pack into that story a tremendous amount of thought and reflection and an economy of words and and so I admire that immensely. That ability to draw all those strands together in something so perfectly formed. Thank you.
1: It's as if everything before has been leading to this. That, that's the way I feel. And what I like about our podcasts is the intimacy of the voice. Because I grew up in the you know the day of radio. Um, I mean, we had televisions eventually, but the intimacy of the voice on the airwaves is what I really cherish. And with the 60 seconds, I hope that someone feels like I'm talking to them. That I came up with this thought and I want to talk to you and say, hey, what do you think? And so sometimes there will be a question, there, or a story prompt. But the idea really is to put hope and imagination out in the world. That's what I'm. That's what I'm selling. Is imbued. That's a good word.
0: Well, it's it's certainly very rewarding. So um, we'll definitely leave the links in the in the show notes. Um, but watch out for stories from women that walk. So on reflecting on the things that have happened in your life, the adversities that that you've faced, if you take that in in generality, what, what do you think you've learned? What I think I have
1: learned is that we were stronger. We're stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And that really we're handed... Only as much as we can handle and nothing more. Because when I look at adversities that have happened to other people or listened to some of the guests on your podcast or learned a little bit about your life situation, and I think to myself, there but for the grace of God go I. And so I, I, I have to keep holding on to that, that I've been given Or I will be given only as much as I can handle and no more. And what I have learned by living through in the past will give me whatever it is I need, if I ask it, to help me along.
0: What would you say to anybody who's facing uh, any kind of adversity in their life? What would you say to them about how to move through that
1: difficulty, I think the moving part is probably personal to each of us. I remember something that Thich Nhat Han says that life, I mean life is painful, but it becomes suffering when we don't know how to suffer well, which sounds very odd. But I give a lot of respect to sitting with the pain, to experiencing the pain to looking at the pain, whatever that is, and recognizing it for what it is. It's not bigger than us. It is the flip side of us. We can't have light without dark. We can't have day without night. We can't have chocolate without vanilla. And so this goes all the way back to your question about impermanence. This, this too will pass in time. And right now, if you're not ready to pull up your big girl panties, then don't maybe you can pull them up to your knees (laughs) it is okay it is okay that in time you'll pull them all the way up so give yourself the benefit of the doubt give yourself time
0: and i just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story it's, it's been really, really great fun and very illuminating. So
1: thank you oh, very much. Oh, Simon, this has been a real delight for me. It's not often, you know, that you and I get to sit on the opposite side of the, of the microphone. And when it happens with someone uh, with whom there is a simpatico synergy, uh, it becomes something very fulfilling very very satisfying to a life so thank you thank you for the thank you for the chance to chat
0: (laughs) very 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 kind i love diane's analogies about the garbage and compost of life they're so earthy and real yet somehow uplifting as she says we're all work in progress but if we can see life through that lens of pragmatic possibility, we can perhaps more easily ride the waves. I would strongly encourage you to listen to Diane's Women That Walk. Despite the title, it's gender neutral, and her 60-second broadcast will most certainly bring a chink of insight and light into your day. Until next time, go safely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode, where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.